Shalom and welcome to The History of Judaism, the history and story of the Jews, narrated by me, Yossi Silverman, licensed tour guide, Jewish educator and all-round fun guy. Uh, last time we discussed the story of the remnant of the Jews, who we're actually calling Judahites at this point, we discussed that last time. Uh, so the remnant of the Judahites left under the governorship of Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. The nobles had been carried away in captivity to Babylon and how that ended with this horrific massacre carried out by uh, Yishmael, the son of Netanya, at the site of the government, the, the Juden, Judahite government headquarters of Mitzpeh, which we identified as most likely being Tel En Naspe. The perpetrator was most likely a patsy for the Ammonites who instigated this massacre so the Babylonians would be killed and the Babylonian Empire would want to have a revenge on their killed Babylonians and then they evade and remove the, the uh, leftover population of, of, of Judahites and thus facilitate a takeover by the Ammonites. So the remnant of Judah fled against the advice of Jeremiah, against the advice of Yirmiyahu, to Egypt. Uh, this podcast, we will discuss the beginning of the exile in Egypt, how the, the Judahites chose Egypt, what was there before the exile, did they just suddenly come up with this idea of Egypt, and the beginning of a new concept... A new concept in Judaism, and that concept is diaspora, uh, the Jews spreading around the world. In fact, I would like to claim our main conception of what is a Jew really, really is to do with diaspora. Very rarely do we, we tend to think of Israelis when we say what is a Jew. So actually this is going to bring me to a kind of wider point and carry us on with a meta story, an important part of this podcast. And for this, I'm going to need your cooperation. What we're going to do now is a thought experiment. Okay, thought experiment, right? Imagine a Jew, a famous Jew. Okay, I'm going to mess it up for you now, because I'm going to assume a proportion of my re listenership are in fact Christians, so not Jesus. Okay, ruined it there for you, not Jesus. So right now, imagine the face of a famous Jew. Got it? Done the famous Jew? Okay. I'm going to stick my neck out here. I'm going to guess you probably imagined what we call an Ashkenazi Jew. Just to quickly explain our terminology here, uh, we've mentioned the term Ashkenazic, that means Jews who originate from, uh, originally really it means, means Germany and France, but they moved east to Eastern Europe during the Middle Ages. We're going to discuss that much, 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 much later. You probably thought of Ben Stiller, or Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman, or... Uh, Salk, the uh, the the inventor of, of of the polio vaccine, he was Jewish, or I don't know Einstein or Karl Marx or something. Uh, yeah, they're they're all Ashkenazic Jews. I'm gonna I'm gonna even stick my neck out even further, uh, and and maybe carry out a bit of a kind of ethnic or racial critique. I'm gonna suggest that you you saw the face of a white person, right? Jews are white, okay. Thought we we all agree on that. Jews are like you know these the the bagel eating uh, 
white people who suffered in the Holocaust. That those people. That is a very very superficial idea of what is Judaism. And if if I if I haven't succeeded in anything in this podcast, uh, it should be to create a more complex idea of what is Judaism. By the way. Anybody who didn't think of uh, Ashkenazic Jew, like, well done to you. If you thought of Sammy Davis Jr., who was a convert to Judaism and also an Afro-American, like, well done. That's really great. I'm impressed. Uh, somebody who thought of, like, Paula Abdul, who, uh, yeah, Paula Abdul, famous 1980s uh, pop icon. Yeah, she's, she was a Syrian Jew. And well done. Like, well done. We're, we're talking, actually, the... the um, Beginning of the history of people like Paula Abdul is the next few podcasts we're talking about. How Jews came to live in places like Persia, Iraq and Egypt and Syria. But if you thought Jerry Seinfeld, actually you're very close to the categorising this entire podcast. Jerry Seinfeld, his dad was Kalman Seinfeld, who I think was a, a, a Hungarian Jew or Czech, uh, I think it was Hungarian, and Betty Hosny. Betty Hosny... Uh, her family is from Syria. So how did you get to Syria? That's the big, uh, the big uh, task of the following podcast. How did you get to Syria? How did you get to Egypt? How did you get to Iraq? Because these are the first outposts of diaspora Jewry, of Jewry around the world. And not how did you get to Poland? We're going to do that, but that's going to come in, in a little while's time. So, so how did you get to Egypt? How did Jews get to really what we're going to categorise as being the Mediterranean Basin, North Africa and Iraq, and Iraq stroke Persia. I know that's a kind of big area, but yeah, we'll call it kind of roughly Middle East, North Africa. How did we get there? Because that was our first outpost. So we're going to start from the text. We're going to stop from the prophecy of Jeremiah of 43. Jeremiah 43 talks about the Jews going down, he says, even to Tachpenes. So what is Tachpenes? Where's that? Uh, another clue, not the Lower East Side in New York. We're talking about Egypt here. It's an Egyptian word. The suggestion from Egypt specialists, ancient Egypt specialists, it means queen consort. So it's a bit funny. You go down to a place called queen consort, maybe a city named for its like temple to a queen consort. It says Tachpenes, that was one of the places mentioned in Isaiah 43. It says Tachpenes, Noph and Patra. So what's Noph? Noph, uh, many people think that that's a, a linguistic kind of fuzzy area where it can be Noph or Moth. This is all in Jeremiah 43. And Moth is most likely Memphis, because Memphis, Memphis is a Greekized version of Moth place on the the Egyptian delta I believe and then there's Patros now Patros that's actually a place we know definitely what Patros is Patros is a, a place the meaning in the south of Egypt I think the the word is like something like Patrasi Patrasi something like that is mentioned in numerous places uh, most notably Papyrus EA10375 yeah catchy name in the British Museum found in Thebes also mentions something like Patros, Patrosy, something like that, Fatras, something. It's it's hard to, to see how people, uh, where people change consonants thousands of years ago, but something like Patros. So these are places. 
Do we have evidence of this? Kind of. So there's a little island at the bottom of the Nile before it kind of splits off a bit. And this island is known in Egyptian uh, languages as being Yeb, or in less Egyptian as being Elephantine. And for those of you who are fans of Baba the Elephant, that's exactly what I think when people talk about the Jews of Elephantine. And it's nothing to do with Baba the Elephant or elephants, but it's supposed to be something to do with a valley of elephants. I'm not sure how that fits in. I didn't think elephants got that far north. I've yet to find out the reason for that. If you do know a reason, this would be the time to do what very few people have ever done on the podcast and comment. Because I, I yet to find out why Elephantine is called Elephantine, so I'm calling it Yeb anyway. So, an important question to ask is, how do we know Jews were living in this place, Yeb or Elephantine? Well, this is based on what's known as the M- Elephantine Papyrus, which is, if you don't know, papyrus is a kind of paper made out of reeds that grow along the bank of the Nile. Uh, and ostraca, the elephantine ostraca, ostraca, bits of pottery that people write on. That's the post-its of the ancient world. These were documents that were discovered on what's known as the grey market. So the black market, that's like dealing in illegal stuff. The grey market is dealing in archaeological things which have been taken off archaeological sites, therefore are not found in situ, and therefore uh, have a little bit questionable. So uh, in they, these documents turned up in the uh, tw- early 20th century in the grey market, mainly in Egypt, and different uh, Egyptologists collected them. Oh, so if they all come from uh, these spurious sources, uh, how can we be sure they're true? Because there's a lot of them. There's a vast number of them, all from different sources, all from different markets, all from different buyers. And there's generally uh, an academic consensus that there was some kind of thing going on in Yeb or Elephantine in the 5th century in Egypt. This isn't a question. The question is which documents are okay and which aren't okay. And that I'm not going to get into that. I have to speak to somebody who really understands the all the different uh, things at work here but a lot of the vast majority of these uh, papyruses we think to be to be authentic and the these discuss a community of Jews a community of Aramaic speaking Jews living on uh, an island in uh, in the Nile before it splits as we said the island of Elephantine or Yeb identified themselves as Jews and were identified as Jews by non-Jews and had certain Jewish practices such as Passover and uh, following certain Jewish laws which you can understand by reading the Elephantine uh, papyrus or ostracus. So this sounds really great. It must be the case that seeing as we have this community there, there's a connection with them and these uh, exile of Jews after 586 BCE from uh, from Jerusalem. It, there were papyruses found in Yeb. Huzzah! Yes, that's exactly what I thought. I thought. Yes, right. Easy podcast. 
easy podcast, Yossi. We've got Jeremiah talking about Jeremiah 43, talking about Jews going down to these places. We look in the papyrus. We find something of the right era. Shouldn't be a problem. Uh-huh. A huge problem. My assumption was that the elephantine Jews originated there either at 586 at the destruction of the first temple and the uh, a little bit later maybe out at the time of the massacre of Gedalia, the son of Achikam, or maybe even just a bit before. Now, all the articles I've been reading have been using really disturbing language for somebody who's like me and got a degree in philosophy and is worried by language. When somebody uses the perhaps or as it seems type formula in an academic paper, it means that there's a huge question, right? So when a number of the papers were like, perhaps the Jews came there before 586 to Elephantine or Yeb, based on these papyrus that we found there. So back up a bit. In Yeb or Elephantine, there were found ancient papyruses. We have this idea of perhaps Jews came there before 586. So what, what's the problem? Why is it perhaps? Problem number one. The dating of the archaeology of Yeb to not 6th century. You'd hope it was dated to at least the 6th century. In fact, no, it's 100 years later. It's the 5th century. Uh, problem number two. You'd think if this was uh, people who came from uh, Judah, they would speak what language? Hebrew, right? And it, it, as we discussed in earlier podcasts, it's very distinctive, the Hebrew language. It's written in, in uh, a proto canaanite script, a Proto-Hebraic script, not the script that the Torah, the Bible is written in today. Uh, no, the papyrus is all actually written in the formula that's written in today, a script called Aramaic script. And it's actually in, not in Hebrew, it's Aramaic. Aramaic is the language of the Assyrian Empire and later on the Babylonian Empire. People speak Aramaic. They, they don't speak uh, Hebrew and the papyrus aren't in Hebrew. So that's another problem. Maybe one that they're making meaning that maybe these are later papyrus. And three, the practice of worship at the Elephantine Temple was distinctly not Judean in character of this stage in history. And I must really stamp home the words of this stage in history. Of this stage in history, uh, many historians are talking about what we discussed in earlier podcasts. Podcast number 10, which was about the the good King Josiah, uh, where there seems to be some kind of reform, making people a bit more monotheistic in character and less uh, polytheistic in character. And uh, there they talk, uh, they talk more about, uh, you know, the, the one God of the Hebrews, which is normally mispronounced as being Yahweh. Why do I say mispronounced? Because it's very hard to know how you actually pronounce the four-letter name of the Jewish God. In fact, religious Orthodox Jews aren't allowed to pronounce it. It's kind of a Y, a H, a V, and a H sound. The academic Orthodoxy is to say it's Yahweh, but uh, I'm not actually sure that could be 100% true because it is kind of, kind of 
like it, it's too many too many vowel sounds and too many open kind of consonants to make it really clear uh, and uh, in the elephantine temple they worship a number of gods both local egyptian gods uh, also the uh, four lettered Judahite god and also uh, gods of uh, uh, some local uh, middle eastern gods anat and ashtarte these are two two female goddesses thought sometimes to be the the wife of the four-letter god or possibly even the wife of a god called El. So that's distinctly not the orthodoxy of the Judans at this time or so the hypothesis goes. So we're going to deal with these issues starting with with three. With three, I have the following sound to make. Eh. You're like, really? I thought we went through this before. Like, uh, people in Judah were fairly um, polytheistic. Like, it was fairly clear if you read the, the w- books of the prophets. Uh, they go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about how you shouldn't be worshipping uh, foreign gods. You wouldn't be doing that if people weren't doing it. There's like a, a principle, a later principle with rabbinics. Rabbis don't forbid things that people aren't doing. You don't say, don't eat! pork and cheese sandwiches if people aren't eating pork and cheese sandwiches or you're just wasting paper so uh, i think that that's not really conclusive evidence of anything two the second issue we said about the uh i'm going in backwards order the two the the language of the jews that in elephantine in the elephantine papyruses that it is is an argument about origin actually where where do they come from you see if they come from judah originally and i'm going to stick with the term originally here uh then it's a problem but if we're saying they actually came from an earlier group of of judahites possibly even when we could call them israelites then it's different and for this we have to learn a little bit of history we've alluded to the fact that there were two kingdoms in uh, the area. The kingdom of the north called Israel and the kingdom of the south called Judah. And if you read the Bible, there's actually a united kingdom before the kingdom split, united under David and Solomon. And there's big arguments about the historicity of David and Solomon, but less about some pre-division period when people were united so this one of the suggestion is maybe this group came from a time when the country was united under the united monarchy in fact there are discussions of king solomon sending uh sending missions out to other countries so it could be that another idea which was that they weren't actually from this united monarchy period. Rather, they were from uh, the divided monarchy period from the Kingdom of Israel. The Kingdom of Israel sent down help. And the the Kingdom of Israel, actually, is a little bit more likely to have spoken Aramaic. Uh, The reason being was that they're, they're closer to Syria. They're closer to the Syrian border. And there's even suggestions that that uh, people from the northern kingdom of Israel went across to Aram, where they spoke Aramaic in Syria, uh, and lived there. And so these are like Aramaic-speaking pre-exilic Jews who came down to Egypt 
which is possible. One kind of outlier in the possibilities here is a, is a guy called Gordon who suggests they were non-exotic Jews. Jews who hadn't left Egypt since before the Exodus. And uh, if you read the Bible, the, 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 there's a discussion of, of Jacob going over the river to, to live in Syria, to live in Aram, uh, and the possibility of people speaking Aramaic. And that's a, as an outlier because there you're starting to discuss things which are uh, outside the remit of what we consider to be historical parts of the Bible. Also is another possibility. So there's a whole interplay between Egypt and the southern kingdom and even a, a discussion in uh, the around the time of the the assassination of Josiah there are in fact messages sent from the Judans to the Egyptians as if they were somehow allies basically uh, Pharaoh Necho says if I'm not mistaken it's in Chronicles Necho says to butt out to uh, Josiah as if he's some kind of ally and the suggestion was that the Judans did service to the Assyrian Empire the Aramaic-speaking Assyrian Empire by going and uh, working as soldiers in garrisons in Egypt. Uh, the other possibility is that it wasn't part of some kind of service. These were just Juden mercenaries who went to leave in Egypt and the kind of lingua franca would have been, uh, a common language would have been Aramaic. Uh, also, there's an issue of of actual dating here. Uh, the the issue of dating of dating the the community of Yeb to the sixth century is a little bit uh, comforting in that it, it's mentioned in the conquest of a sixth century Persian monarch who we're going to get back to Persian emperor we're going to get back to Cambyses I think that's how you say his name who invades Egypt in 525, destroys a lot of temples, but misses, get this, he misses, according to a number of sources, destroying the temple in Yeb. So if he comes there in 525 and doesn't destroy the temple, is it too much to suggest that it was there maybe 60 years beforehand in 586 when the temple was destroyed or a little bit after something like that here you've got a, a high possibility it is just based on the chronology there so from all of this and from the pap papyrus and i'm probably going to revisit the papyrus in a later podcast about the community in yeb we have the following thing we have a polytheist group of people who most likely, uh, if we're going to say that the there's a lot of different facts that corroborate in the biblical story, so there's highly likely some kind of connection between the people of the land. So they go down to Egypt to dwell with these pre-existing Egyptian Jews, which is why Jeremiah gets so upset. Why would he be getting so upset? How could he possibly know the people that were going to be worshipping foreign gods if people weren't already living in Yeb uh, worshipping foreign gods. So we've already got a split. If there's one thing you're going to be learning about the Jews spread out across the world, it's very much a discussion of a split nation or even a split maybe many sub 
ethnicities within the nation kind of all vying for control and not necessarily all singing from the same hymn papyrus. That was me trying to say, make a joke on singing from the same hymn sheet. I hope you laughed at that one. Not necessarily all singing from the same hymn sheet. We have, on the one hand, because uh, it's going to become apparent that the Jews living in Babylon develop some more solidified version of monotheism. So on, this is going to be set at counterpoint to the Jews of Egypt. The Jews of Egypt there seem to be polytheist. They don't aren't nobles, they're people of the land. The one thing that's common is they, they speak the same language eventually. They speak Aramaic. The Jews of Babylon are also going to end up speaking Aramaic. That's what we have in Egypt. We have this uh, very much a kind of tension there. And this is the beginning of e Egyptian Jewry. We are going to be discussing later on Egyptian Jewry, how it develops in Egypt all the way up to the present day. There is still an Egyptian commun Jewish community in Egypt dating back, back all the way back to, we don't know, possibly the 5th century, possibly the 6th century. It's not clear. So next time we're going to be discussing the nobles living in Babylon, learning about their kind of Judaism. What kind of Judaism do they practice? Uh, how does the story advance there? Thank you very much for listening. My name is Yossi Silverman. As you might know, I'm an out-of-work tour guide at the moment. I've been working in some wonderful places, both in menial labour in uh, archaeological sites and also now in a wonderful, wonderful uh, early learning centre for young children. But you might understand that uh, in terms of the work for tour guiding, that's gone south due to corona. So if you can help by go visiting co-fi.com slash scoutisrael or patreon.com slash scoutisrael, that would be great. Or visiting my YouTube channel, Scout Israel, and subscribing or subscribing on whatever version of this podcast you are listening to that would help me monetize and would help me greatly you have been listening to the history of judaism the history and story of the jews and next time we're going to be going to babylon